Thank you for listening to the FBH podcast. For more information about our church, feel free to visit www.fbhanford.org. I'm Peter Anderson. I'm the senior pastor here at First Baptist, and apparently I should start preaching. Um, uh, we're going to be in Titus chapter 2 today. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip open, click open, uh, whatever you are, you're comfortable with. Uh, but as you are doing that, uh, I want to share with you uh, about a few different mentors that I've had in my life. Actually, before I do that, okay, fall carnival tonight. Um, if you are still interested and you're like, hey, uh, I can't come to fall carnival or I'd like to help out, but my time is limited or uh, whatever. Our biggest need right now is, and it's because of my goal of giving out an irresponsible amount of candy to children tonight. Okay. Um, and so if you are interested in sharing in that goal and you're like, hey, I'm going to go to the store today or whatever. If you want to drop off some more candy from two o'clock until forever tonight, we're going to be in the, uh, the, the East Lawn over there. You can bring it by, drop it off, and we'll make sure that kids get uh, a ton of candy for that. But that being said, come on out. It's going to be a, um, a great time. Uh, but my mentors, uh, and as I'm talking about this, I, wanna, I want you to think about your mentors in your life, people in your life that have uh, made an impact, who have called you to greatness. It could be mom, it could be dad, it could be someone you don't even know, but definitely still made a profound impact on your life. I don't know who it is that you would consider your mentor or someone that, that you look up to, but think about that as I'm uh, talking through mine. Uh, for a second, because my first real mentor outside of mom and dad, and to be fair, mom and dad did a lot of mentoring, a lot of mentoring uh, for me, um, but, uh, but my first real mentor outside of them was a guy by the name of Josh Lane. <clears throat> Josh was actually my, my youth pastor uh, from my sophomore year till my senior year of high school, and Josh and I actually met kind of on accident. Uh, I was going to a different youth group. Uh, I was going to a youth group in Merced. My brother was going to a, a youth group in Atwater. Um, he was going to Josh's youth group. I was going to the youth group with pretty girls at it. Um, and uh, it's very, very important. Um, so, uh, so anyway, so I was going to that youth group. I went there for the first like year and a half um, of my high school career. And I signed up to go on a, a mission trip with that youth group in Merced. And uh, the youth leader came back and they're like, hey, sorry, we're all full. You can't go to Mexico. And serve the poor with us. And so I was like, well, okay, forget you guys. I'm going to find a church that will take me to Mexico. Um, and so uh, my brother actually was like, hey, our youth group is doing it. You should sign up um, with our youth group. And so uh, lo and behold, I'm the, the new kid, Mike Anderson's younger brother, who's coming with everybody on this, uh, this trip to Mexico. And uh, wouldn't you know it, uh, coincidentally, I got sat in the navigator seat shotgun next to the youth pastor because uh, I'm sure he had no ulterior motives in that entire thing of like wanting to build a relationship with me and get me to come to his youth group and all of that stuff. Youth leaders are nodding at me right now like, yep. So anyway, so I went on that, that trip with them. Uh, I spent like nine hours in that seat. Uh, I never got us lost once. Uh, thank you, MapQuest, back when you printed out maps. You guys remember those good old days? Um, but, uh, but there and back. And so from that point forward, I was deeply involved in Josh's youth group. Josh became my friend. He became my mentor. He was my mentor from the time I was a sophomore all the way to the time when he abandoned me when I was a senior in high school and he took a job up in Roseville 
uh, California. But Josh exemplified uh, the type of Christian I wanted to be. He was a young guy who was in his early 20s. Um, he, he wasn't married, and he just dedicated his life to Jesus, dedicated his life to the gospel. And so he left. I went into college. And when I was in college, I was serving uh, at a church. I was serving in a youth group. And I met a guy by the name of Jeff Bachman. And so Jeff was about 10 years older than me. He was married. He, had, he, he was starting to have kids at the time. And he walked me through some, uh, a really big transition period in my life. He walked me through uh, getting engaged uh, to Sarah. I got married to Sarah. My dad passed away uh, in that same year. I got my first actual job not selling clothes, right? Um, all of these things, he kind of walked me through through those things. And then uh, after that, um, after I got married, uh, I got a job at Selma First Baptist. And so I met my, my next mentor who would become my next mentor in my life, Craig Statton. I met a guy by the name of Ed Izaki. Um, and those two guys were were quite a bit older than me. I hope they're listening. Uh, quite a bit older than me. Ancient, as a matter of fact. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I think they're like in their early 60s. Um, but uh, they were quite a bit older than me. But, but I saw how they ran a church. I saw their faith. I saw how, like, pieces of them that I would like to implement into, into my life at that point. And then I finished there, and I moved down to Apple Valley, and there was a man by the name of Kurt Thielen. And Kurt is the smartest, most biblically literate person you will ever meet in your entire life. I've never met somebody who knows their theology uh, better than, than, than Kurt. And then after that, I moved to Hanford. And I consider a, a handful of people here to be my mentors. And you can judge me based on how I have picked out my mentors here because you'll know quite a few of these people. First one, Jeff Milhan, right? I've made a mistake, everybody. Like I couldn't even remember to release the junior hires again. Are you kidding me right now? Um, but uh, I'm just joking. Uh, guys like Jeff Milhan, Dave Fox, Jim McClellan, um, Mike Watkins, um, those people, men who are older than me who have walked faith before, who have, who have gone before me and, and led in churches and that sort of thing. And then beyond that, I glean wisdom from other pastors in the area that I meet with regularly. Guys like Bob Cherry, Andrew Cromwell, Gilbert Foster, Tim Brown. Um, people that I am intentional to be able to meet with. Because my, my entire life I've been lucky enough to be surrounded uh, by men who want to see me go farther, faster than they did. And it isn't because any of them are perfect. It, it is because they have two qualities that, that I am looking for in people who speak into my life. Right? They, they exemplify what it means to do your best to follow God, first and foremost. And two, they care deeply about the next generation knowing God. Those things remain to be true of all of those people. Okay? They, they, they were true when they mentored me, and for those who are still alive today, that, that is still true. And that's huge for me. These men, in conjunction with my mom and dad, have been paramount in my development as a man, and more importantly, in my development as a follower of Jesus. Right? I can remember specific conversations which eat with each of these men who called me to something greater who said, hey, Peter, I believe that you could do this. I believe that if you continue, I believe that you have the capacity, whatever it may have been in that conversation, they have continued to call me to something greater. They called out greatness in me. And to be clear, that doesn't make me the hero of the story. Okay, my story remains to be told at this point. And I hope 
one day when I'm their age, I would be doing the same thing that, that they do for me in my life. The heroes of this story are, are these men who took the time to mentor the next generation. Those are the heroes of that story. So I want you now to think for a moment about the person that you were thinking about before, the person who has once called out greatness in your life, a mentor, a role model, whoever it may be. So share with the person you came with. Think about it. If you're online, you can write in the comments. Share that right now with the person sitting next to you. Go ahead. I give you permission to talk in church. Go ahead. Just don't check the 49ers score. Okay, now beyond that, okay, good murmur, good murmur. You guys broke the rules really, really well, okay. Now beyond that, I want you to think about, and you don't have to share this, but I want you to think about why it is that you named that person. Why is it that you said, they said, this person is the one who made, who called out greatness in me. You know, maybe you call them a mentor, a role model, whatever. But as we talked about a few weeks back, who you are today is the sum total of every single decision you've made in your life outside of God saving you. And I'm sure those people, those role models, those mentors in your life probably had something to do with some of those decisions. Now, I want you to think about, like I said, why they've been important. What is it they did in your life to call out greatness? They said it. Maybe it was an encouraging word. Maybe it was an example they set for you. Maybe it was some sort of financial uh, uh, backing that you needed to achieve your goals, to start your first business. Whatever. I don't know what these people did or said, but they had a profound impact you, on you in some way. And Scripture calls us to the same thing. So this message, we're going to get into, into Titus right now, but this message is essentially part one of a two-part message. So next week, we're going to hit, we're going to hit the younger generation real hard. Okay, younger generation, you think this week is going to be easy for you because we're talking about the older generation. You're like, sweet, straighten those people out for me. Deal. I'll do that this weekend, but know that next weekend I'm coming for y'all. Okay? So that's just, that's just the way it goes. So we're in chapter 2. It's going to be verses 1 through 3. But, but before I get that, Titus, uh, in the book of Titus, Paul has a message to give to older people on Crete. Okay, and for the sake of this argument, I would say that this applies to people who are older as well as people who would consider themselves mature Christians. Okay, because if we look at the life expectancy of people on Crete, most of us have outlived them by this point. Okay, and so we have to understand that this is both older and mature Christians. Actually, as I was preparing the message, I didn't actually know kind of where I fit in here. Like, am I part of the older generation or part of the younger generation? Like, I know I'm a, I'm a millennial, so if we're talking about age, like, I'm 36, and so I'm relative, I'm like, I'm young-ish, right? Um, people in their 20s are like, you're not young, you're ancient, and whatever. Yeah, but I'm young-ish, um, and, and, and I still have kids at home, and, you know, I, I'm, I'm just starting out in my, in my career and all of those things, and so I'm young-ish. But then on the other side of things, I've been a Christian for the last 28 years of my life, and I'm a pastor, Okay, so there, there is a level of expectancy there for me to have a mature faith. So I will allow you to self-select where it is that you land on here. Um, but if you're going by age and strictly by age, I would say a good test is if you have or someone has talked to you about a medical procedure in the last week, this is probably for you this morning, okay? Just kidding. Some of you got it. Others of you are still waiting. Just kidding. Kind of just kidding. Okay. So... Let's read it. Titus 2, 1 to 3. It says, you, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. 
Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. That's it. That's our chunk of scripture for this morning. It says, so, so the first verse itself is to Titus, okay? So remember, Paul is writing this letter to Titus to then teach these things to the people of Crete. So this isn't like if, if, if Paul was just writing to the church in Crete. Paul was writing, so essentially it would be like, hey, if I, it's not me teaching this morning. It's me telling Jeff what it is that he should teach this morning, right? So I'm probably going to be a lot more direct in that case. I'm probably not going to pull any punches, and I'm probably going to say things that, that, that maybe it would offend some people. This is why Titus is such a good book, because people get angry about it, because Paul calls them onto the carpet. He's like, hey, look, this is the reality of what it is that needs to be taught to the church in Crete. And so that's why verse 1 is saying, hey, look, Titus, regardless of everything else that I've talked about, all of chapter 1, we covered that in the last couple of weeks, regardless of everything else that I've talked about, okay, you have to teach sound doctrine. That's what, telling, that's what he's telling Titus here. So let's go back and get context really quickly, okay. Last week, we talked about how there were a, a bunch of different people who were trying to introduce a distorted gospel to the Cretan church. Okay, they were saying that the new converts to Christianity, hey, that's great, you love Jesus, but also you have to start following the Old Testament rules as well. You have to follow these old Jewish traditions that were no longer in play, that Jesus took care of once and for all. The, these laws didn't apply to him. And Paul doesn't like that. It's actually very clear that Paul doesn't like that. He talks about it here in Titus. He talks about it in Timothy. He talks about it in Galatians. He talks about it in Romans. He's like, hey, stop distorting the gospel. You do not have to do all of these extra things. And so he's saying, look, regardless of what all those false teachers are doing, Titus, you can't do that. Your job is to teach sound doctrine. Your job is to not stray away from the simplicity of the gospel, which is where we landed at the end of last week. You need to teach these people how to act appropriately now that they call themselves Christians. Okay, so this is where we're landing today. How is it that we are supposed to act now that we are Christians? So he starts with the guys, okay? And to be fair, this morning, Guys, you're going to get off a little easy this morning, okay? He goes a little harder to the paint with the ladies, just to be fair. Um, and also, I wrote it, so it's going to be worse for the ladies than the guys. Okay, let's, let's keep going. Just kidding. So he starts with the guys. He says, he starts with temperate specifically, okay? That word temperate, quick dictionary glance will tell you that this essentially means restrained, okay? He wants them to show moderation in their lives. Beyond that, he says they should be worthy of respect, so, hey, be restrained, but also be worthy of respect. Which brings me to one of the things that I've talked to my kids about on a regular basis and something that we should all probably ask ourselves at some point is would you rather be liked or respected? Liked or respected? And that's hard for a junior hire to wrestle with that question. That's hard for an adult to wrestle with that question. But it's hard for a junior hire to wrestle with that question and be like, hey, man, like, would you, would you rather want to fit in with the crowd and laugh at somebody else's expense even though it's going to make them feel bad? Or would you rather be respected and not laugh and then everybody call you a nerd? Like, where do you want to land, right? Like, that's a hard question to be able to answer. And so Paul says, hey, look, you need to be worthy of respect. And so while these things, being liked and respected, are, are both uh, important to, to the Christian faith, being both liked or or respected. Paul says that within the church, men need to act worthy 
of respect. They need to act like it. Okay, so be cl- to be clear, this isn't saying I am going to demand respect. That's different. Okay, they're saying you need to act worthy of respect. Act in such a way that people will want to respect you. Because I think we've all met those people who demand respect, right? My net worth, this is what I've done, I am in charge of, whatever it may be. You can call me doctor, not mister. Like those people, right, who demand respect, that's not what he's saying here. Okay, he's saying, no, 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 I want you to act in such a way that, pe- that, that you would be worthy of respect. They will think you are honorable, they, that they would want to spend time with you. All right, we said a few weeks back when, when Jim McClellan, a long member of our church, he'd been a board member, um, very, very integral in the life of our church, had passed away, that, that this series was kind of going be, be, to be dedicated to Jim McClellan. Because Titus very much is, is the embodiment of Jim, I feel like, in a lot of ways, specifically in this way, this idea of being worthy of respect, act in a way that is worthy of respect. Because never once did I have Jim come into my office and start yelling at me and telling me all the things that I, I should be doing and that I was wrong and demanding that I listen to him simply because he was older than me. Never once did that happen, and trust me, he came into my office a lot. Right? And never once did he, did he compose himself that way. He came in, he was cordial, he was kind to me, he cared about me, he asked about my family, he asked how I was doing, and then he got to his list. And then we would disagree about his list, and he would say, hey, I appreciate that. Uh, I appreciate your time, I'll see you on Sunday. I'm like, solid, thanks, Jim. That's acting in such a way that is worthy of his respect. That made it so anytime Jim McClellan wanted to come into my office, my door was wide open. Anytime he called me on the phone, I was willing to listen because he was acting in a way that was worthy of respect, not simply demanding that respect. He was humble. And because of that humility, people were willing to listen to Jim, myself included. Okay, but Paul keeps, Paul keeps going. He says men need to be self-controlled. And he's kind of, it's kind of a piggyback onto temperate. They're, you're like, it kind of means the same thing. Okay, this has extra context for men who are living in Crete. Okay, these men who are living in Crete were rambunctious, they were rowdy, and they were violent. Like they would be hired assassins. Whoever was willing to pay top dollar, they would go take care of somebody. So this idea of self-controlled here has more to do with their violent nature on the island of Crete than it does to be temperate and restrained and that sort of thing. Okay, so and then lastly, it says, not lastly, in this portion, it says, and sound in faith. It says, hey, look, they need to remember the simplicity of the gospel. They need to understand that all of these extra things that the church is trying to teach, no, 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 no. Get simple with the gospel. It needs to be Jesus plus nothing. They have to remember the simplicity of the gospel that we're all sinners in need of a savior, that God sent his son to die on the cross for us, and God, and then he was raised from the dead and took all of our sins from us forever. The simplicity of the gospel. And then Paul makes a small turn here after that. He tells him the bottom line, I feel like the most important piece of Christian living, the way that a Christian should be marked maybe is a better way to say it, that they need to be sound in love and sound in endurance. Uh, This is interesting. And those two things aren't necessarily tied together super tightly, love and endurance. It's really just the way the sentence is formed. Give you this idea of, of love, mature Christians, hey, you should be marked by the fact that you love everybody. And beyond that, that your faith will endure. 
that your faith, regardless of what happens in your life, regardless of the circumstances in your life, regardless of what goes on, your faith is not going to waver. As Eugene Peterson puts it, that you will have a long endurance in the same direction. Okay? So I think it's really, really important here because I, as a younger, youngish Christian, want to look up to people who have endured in their faith, people who are going to love other people, people who are worthy of respect. And that's important. They can't just, like, these things are incredibly important for, for a younger generation to be able to look up to an older generation. And so that's it for the men, right? Men, hey, just be temperate and love people and endure and be self-controlled and do all of those things, right? Like, like that's it for the men. And then verse 3, he takes a turn and he says a very key word. The word here is likewise, okay? Now, likewise in our context, we read it, we're like, okay, so done with that list with the men. Likewise, women, here is your list. That's not what this word means. This word is used one other time in the New Testament. And likewise here essentially means Everything that I just listed, women, all of that stuff, that applies to you too. And also, all of this stuff applies to you as well. So we're going through that list of being temperate, of being self-controlled, about being loving, about enduring, all of those things. That is included for the ladies in the room as well. And then Paul goes on to talk about the ladies. He says in verse 3 that women need to be reverent says they can't be slanderers and they can't be addicted to much wine. Okay, so it seems strange to me here that there is a greater list for the ladies than there is for the men. Now hear me, ladies, this isn't the Bible holding you to a higher standard, even though the rest of society tends to do that. Okay, the Bible is not doing that here. It's not saying, hey, look, okay, guys, you're good as long as you don't drink and gossip. Okay, that's not what this is saying here. It's not giving men permission to do all of those things. But ladies, you can't do that. Okay, we have to understand the historical and cultural context that this is being written in. Yeah, I said in week one when I was setting up this entire series that, that women specifically on the island of Crete were obsessed with this, this idea of the new Roman woman is the way that it's put actually in 1 Timothy. I think it's 1 Timothy 3 where there was this kind of kind of cultural and sexual revolution that was happening in Rome. And then these people, these women in Crete were looking over at what was happening and hearing what was happening was like, yes, that's who I want to be. I don't want to be tied down by a man. I want to be independent. I want to drink whatever I want. I'm going to say whatever I want. I'm going to do whatever it is that I want. That was the revolution that was currently happening in Rome and bleeding into Crete. And so because of that, Paul is writing to a very specific moment in time to a very specific group of ladies who's saying, Paul's saying, hey, look, I know this is what the culture is telling you to do. Don't do it. That's why this list is longer for ladies. So ladies, when I said I was going to beat up on you, really, this should all apply to all of us, right? Hey, guys, don't gossip. Ladies, don't gossip. And church, can we be real? Can we stop pretending that prayer requests are actually prayer requests when it's just gossip for you? Like, stop. If you say you're going to pray for somebody or, oh, bless their heart, right? Like, that's just Christian cussing at people, okay? Like, stop it. Okay, so this is true for all of us. This list is true for all of us. 
It's indicative of where mature Christians need to land today. And I think if you wrote out this list, you wrote this list from from top to bottom, everyone could agree on the idea that if this type of person, this type of Christian friend, if this was a Christian friend of theirs in the church, they would be encouraged by that person. They would be excited to meet with that person. I think that's, and, and that is a hard person to be able to nail down. Right, so there are a lot of specifics, and Paul gets, gets down to the why. So Paul's like, hey, they should look like this, 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 this. And then in verse 8, the second half of verse 8, he gets down to the why. And this is the landing spot for the whole thing, so it feels a little jumbled. But it says this, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. He's saying, hey, look, be all of these things so that they can't say anything bad about you. But he's not talking about your pride. He's not talking about like, so they won't hurt your feelings. No, he's saying, be all of these things so they can't say anything bad about the church. So that the church would be considered above reproach. So that when people look at the church, they wouldn't say, oh, what a bunch of hypocrites. They would say, oh, what a bunch of people who are in love with Jesus and are marked by that. That's what Paul is saying here. It's not a list of rules so we can't have fun. It's not a list of regulations for you to get to heaven. It's so that the gospel would, be, would continue to be protected. It's so when people look at the church, man, they see a completely and totally different community than what they are used to seeing. You know, last, last week I talked, about, I talked about how arguments in the church kind of tend to stem from ridiculous things. I talked about church carpet debates, right, that the church is known for like, oh, man, Everything is good. We love Jesus, but we hate choosing carpet together, right? And, and I actually found out that this was true in our church back in 1988. I had a, uh, an older member of our congregation after last service was like, hey, man, you keep talking about that argument we had back in 1988 about the carpet. I was like, are you for real that happened here? I just, like, that was just like a thing that I have heard happening in the past. And it's completely and totally absurd, but church, like unfortunately, like, like those things, those petty little things is the church's reputation in the community. It's not FBH specifically, but the capital C church is known more for its pettiness surrounding things that don't matter than they are respected for the things that do. And that's a problem. But that's not, where, that's not where, we need to, where we need to land today. Where we need to land today is why Paul is separating the older folks from the younger folks. And let's call a spade a spade here. There is a, a generational struggle going on within the church these days. FBH is not exempt from that. Yeah, the capital C church overall, there is a generational struggle. There is an older generation who longs for the days gone by, who longs for the tradition and the things that they grew up with, and there is a younger generation clamoring for what they want to see the church become to continue to stay relevant in a world that is, that is a brand new world every single day. Right? So there is a distinction there. There's tension there. And it's hard because you're not wrestling simply with preferences. I mean, at the end of the day, they are preferences, but, but things that we have built up in our mind as doctrinal, things that we think for some reason, if we don't do that, we aren't doing church correctly. Things like, I don't know, style of music, right? 
Like that, I mean, there was an entire era of church. You guys know there's an entire era of church that happened in the late 90s to early 2000s called the worship wars? Like that, like late 90s to early 2000s was the worship wars. There's like, like there are books written about this, about how ridiculous and petty that the church was being, that, that, that so many church splits happened because of the worship wars. Now, now let's take a step back. Like, let's get out of hymns and modern worship and whatever it is that you feel like your style of, of worship is. Let's just talk about music, okay? Because musical preferences, let's be real, that's a generational thing, regardless of where you listen to the music. Like, I don't know, when, when me, Jeff, and Kyle get to go out, and by the way, I'm really, really excited, Nothing, a complete and total aside, Pastor Jeff is creating a rubric for me, him, and Kyle to go and uh, taste chicken in Kings County to see which one is the best. So we get into a car to do this. We haven't done it yet, but when we get in a car to do this, we are not going to agree on the same musical station. None of us are. We all have different preferences. Like if we get into Jeff's car, most likely we're listening to classic rock from the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Right? Yeah, some amens in there like, let's hear that on stage. Let's go. Some earth, wind, and fire. Um, is that, is that, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that's a thing. Anyway, but if we can, like, that's what we're going to listen to. And I can respect that, right? Because my dad listened to the same thing. So I'm like, all right, Dad Jeff, like, let's listen to these things, you know? Or if we get into Kyle's car, like, Kyle is infamous for listening to music that no one listens to. Like, I get into his car, I'm like, I don't even know who this is. Or if it's, like, September, he's already listening to Christmas music. I'm like, what's wrong with you? Or if we get into my car, we're going to listen to country and talk radio, so everybody's going to be upset, right? Like, like, that's just like our musical preferences are different, and it's because of a generational gap that we all have. And, and, and like, those are just the differences. We rarely agree, except like on, one, like on rare occasions where there's a song that maybe it binds us together because of shared of experience, where we sing songs that like remind us of the good times, right? Like, like that would be it. And it's the same thing that we find within the church. And it's just this generational gap, this generational tension. And so with generations comes generational preference, and that's okay. That is good. But when that issue begins to become the paramount issue in the church, we have a problem. So Paul sets his aim on the older generation before the younger generation, because let's face it, the more mature Christians in the room should be setting an example for those who are coming up behind them. That's why he talks about the older generation first. That's, that's why he doesn't say, hey, younger generation, go respect the older, the older generation. No, no, no. He says, older generation, act in such a way that is worthy of respect for the younger generation. That should be the goal. The church needs the older generation's example. The church needs the older generation's maturity. And while I think it's true that as you enter into the, the golden era of your life, it's easy to assume that, that younger people don't like you, that, that nobody listens to you, no one cares about you. I don't think that's true for people who exhibit the characteristics we read in the book of Titus. Older generation, I actually think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone in the younger generation who would not be willing to listen to you if you exhibited the qualities that are, that are in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2. you got to earn it, though. You have to be willing 
to earn that. And beyond that, just because you've, you've matured in your faith doesn't mean you're done with what God has for you. There's a great book by a, by a pastor, a theologian, an author of all of the things. His name is John Piper. Love John Piper. He wrote this book a while back. I read it as I was entering into college. The book called Don't Waste Your Life. Okay, there's actually a, a song that Lecrae wrote with John Piper talking over it, all this stuff. And it was great. And I read the book and I was like, let's go, Jesus. I'm going to do all the things for Jesus in my life. It's an incredible book. It doesn't speak specifically to aging in this book, but it speaks about how we should indeed live our lives. He says this. He says, desire that your life count for something great. Long for your life to have eternal significance, eternal significance. Want this. Don't coast through life without a passion. He's writing to everybody, regardless of stage in life, but, but man, older generation, hear me in this. That just because you're retired from your job doesn't mean you're retired from your faith. It doesn't mean that, that hey, I, my, my responsibility in life is starting to wane. I've retired. I've, I've cashed in my pension. Like, I've, I, like, like my kid's college is paid for. They're married. And, man, all, the th- anything, all I have to worry about now is just showing up and being grandma and grandpa. It's a good legacy. It's not a great one, though. You're called to something way bigger than that. Paul actually talks about it in Acts 20, 21. Okay, and while Paul was writing this in the book of Acts, or is it while Paul is living this, Luke is writing it, while, while Paul is, is living this, really here, he, he's towards the end of his life. He is marching towards his death. He is about to be beheaded. And Paul, at this moment, could have said, hey, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take a baby step back here, make sure I don't get killed, and then keep moving forward with the gospel. That's not what he does. He says, he says this, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. He's at the end of his life, and he's saying, look, I don't care what I have to do. I'm not just going to sit back and let life happen to me. He says elsewhere, he says, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. He isn't someone who is going to just, you know, sit on his yacht and sail towards the end of the end of his life and so, hey, I'm dead, I can be with God now. He wasn't willing to do that. He recognized that his faith journey needed to continue. It says in Psalm 92:14 about the older generation, it says, "They will still bear fruit in old age. They will stay fresh and green." It's kind of weird, fresh and green. I don't know if I want to be called fresh and green, but that's what you get the point, <laughs> what it's trying to say, right? They will still bear fruit in their old age. They still have a job to do. And can I just say, if, if older generation, if you exemplified that list that Paul, ta- that Paul gives to Titus, my guess is that in your old age, you will bear more fruit than you did in your, 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 your younger age. That your word will carry more weight. It says in 1 John 2, 13, it says, I am writing to you fathers. He's talking about the older generation here. Because you know him who is from the beginning. He's talking about what it is that you, like, hey, you know who God is. You know what a relationship with God looks like. So he starts talking to that older generation and saying, hey, look, be an example to the younger generation. And it's very clear that scripture backs the idea that mature and aging Christians, you are not done. You still have work to do. You still have a job to do. 
Like I said, just because you're retired and your responsibility in life is winding down does not mean your responsibility to the crosses. We need your example as younger men and younger women. And hear me on this. When you think that no one is willing to do the things that you think that the, the, the way that they should be done, no one is willing to listen to you and I want to get in there and I want to get my hands dirty and that sort of thing. There is a perception that you are valued less in the church. Hear this. Remember that your value hasn't changed, but your role has. That's a very hard transition to be able to make, though. That you are valued for a complete and total different reason. One of my absolute favorite Proverbs, Proverbs 20, 29, I believe exemplifies the way the church needs to function. It says, the glory of young men is their strength. Gray hair, the splendor of the old. Right, and some of us in here with gray hair, you're like, hold up. I feel like I got the raw end of the deal there. Like you're saying like young people, they're all yoked and that's their strength. And mine, mine's this gray hair that I got. No, it's talking about wisdom. That's what it's taught. Like the splendor of, old, uh, of the older generation is their, their wisdom. And we need both parts of that. We need young people who have strong backs, who don't know any better, but are going to work until they collapse underneath the weight of that load to be able to carry that load. And we need old people to give them the wisdom to tell them when to stop or tell them where to go or tell them how to do it or help them out and come alongside of them. We all have a role to play. And so for those of us with gray hair, and I have four of them, so I count myself in this group. You're welcome, everybody. My wife, find my, my, I'm hoping for five soon. COVID really did a number on me. Um, but it's, it, it's your wisdom that is needed. It's your example that is needed. But hear me, you don't get respect from others just because you have gray hair. You get respect from others because you embody what Paul listed out in verses 2 and 3 of chapter 2. That's how you get respect. So with all these questions remains, like, like the question still remains, as it has over the course of the last few weeks, where does your belief stand? That's a weird question I know to ask as we're talking about generational differences and what our roles are in the church and that sort of thing. But because if your belief is one of the Bible, if your belief is one in God, if your belief is one in Jesus Christ and him crucified, then your actions should follow. That means if you believe the Bible, you believe Titus, you believe Titus chapter 2, you believe this is God-breathed, then you should embody what it says in chapter 2. You should be willing to make movements to become like this list that Paul put forth. And if you believe that, your action should follow. That leader that you said that you looked up to, your mentor, the person who came before you, like that person didn't get that way by accident. They were intentional with you. And it's your responsibility to allow the Holy Spirit to work in your life so you can be intentional with others behind you. Right? I need to be intentional with people who are my kids' age, who are coming up behind me. I need to be intentional with, with guys like Danny. I need to be intentional with, with Kyle because apparently I'm way older than that guy. Right? Like I need to be intentional with those people in the same way that I'm intentional with them. The older generation, you need to be intentional with those who are coming behind you. And so can, can you just imagine like what it would look like if the older generation or the more mature Christians in the world became an example for those who are coming behind them rather than just being mad at them for not listening to them? 
that they would embody love and care and self-control and being temperate and enduring, all of those things. That those spiritual mothers and fathers who came before us, it wouldn't be difficult for a younger generation to give respect to them because they acted in a way that was worthy of it. The younger generation needs an older generation that's marked by these things. Who is marked by perseverance. They can look at people like my friend Mike Watkins. Some of you know Mike. Many of you don't know Mike. But Mike has been through the ringer in the golden era of his life. Mike has battled cancer and won. Show cancer what's up only though to lose his wife to cancer a few years later. And Mike, he still marches on with the attitude that God isn't done with me yet because I'm still here. So until God calls me home, I have a responsibility to the cross. And he acts in such a way that I want to respect him. I desire to respect him. Mike, he serves now. He serves with uh, little kids. Mike, uh, he turns 80 years old next week. Don't applaud for him. It's not his birthday yet. He turns 80 next week, and he's serving with kindergartners. Uh, During the second service, I actually pulled him out. So there's probably, if you have a kindergartner, we hope they're still around. I was just kidding. We have it covered. Relax. Helicopter parents, chill out. Okay, but, but he works with young kids. And beyond that, on Wednesday nights, he leads, he leads a small group with adults ranging in age from 21 to Mike Watkins, right? He knows he is not done yet. He is an example. I want to be Mike Watkins. I want to be like Dave Fox. I want to be like Jim McClellan so I can look back on my life and say that I sprinted toward Jesus the entire time so the world would know, so my congregation would know, so my kids would know that that this isn't a sham, that my life was marked by Jesus because I finished the race well, not because I started it well. That's countercultural. That's the cross preached through a lifestyle of love and endurance. So as we close, I actually want to invite my friend Mike up here. Mike, come on up. You can give him applause as he comes now, even though it's not his birthday. One of the things that many of you don't know is that uh, my friend Mike here, every single, here you go, it's turned on. No smart, no smart remarks there, bud. Um, is that uh, every single Sunday before I preach, uh, Mike will come into my office and he'll pray for me. Um, he doesn't do it for fame. He doesn't do it for glory. I don't put it on Instagram or anything like that. He does it because he cares about me and he wants to see me go further, faster than other people have gone before him. And so he doesn't just pray for me as a pastor. He doesn't just say, hey, I pray that the message will be pointed, though he does say that every single week. Yeah, pointed message, right? Yeah, it's on there. Um, But beyond that, he prays for me as a dad. He prays for me as a husband. He prays for me as an individual because he cares about the next generation succeeding. And he knows that his job is not yet done. And so Mike is going to pray for us. And I just want to say how much, how thankful I am for you, buddy. I didn't say that first service, but, but thank you for who you are. I just, you know, I wish I could have found somebody old to help you out and pray here. You wanted somebody old. And I, <laughs> I shopped around. And I, this is all there is. You're old, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, next week you're old, right? Oh, That's what yeah, you said. Yeah, next yeah, week yeah. you're old. 
hard to say 80, but gosh. Hey, <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for Peter. Thank you for this place. Oh, Lord, and the hearts that beat for you. Lord, help us to remember each one of us, plant by your spirit. I don't know what to say except jazz us up. Um, when we sing, it's your breath in our lungs, we're not kidding. We know it is, Lord. But help us to realize you expect a return. That's not wasted breath. It's not wasted energy. And my brothers and sisters, if you can fog a mirror, you've got work to do. Listen, look, watch where God's working, and get your hand up. Believe me, people not only will be startled, but they might actually learn something from you. It's too much fun. Thank you. Thank you, Lord, for Peter. Thank you for this place. Thank you for um, my, my senior brothers and sisters. Lord, there's no such thing as retirement in the Bible. So as long as we're breathing... Until they slam the lid, we're yours. And help us to put that energy to your use. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, thank you all for joining us. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.